everybody, and welcome to Attendance Bias. I am your host, Brian Weinstein. This week's episode follows the format of the older mini-episodes of Attendance Bias. So for you new listeners, that means that today's episode is shorter than usual. There's no guest. So that means that I'm telling the story about a show that I've been to. Today's episode focuses on Fish's legendary jams of Seven Below into Ghost from November 28, 2009 at the Times Union Center in Albany, New York. With Thanksgiving coming up this week, I began to get pretty nostalgic about Fish's fall tours. Since I wasn't able to see any shows on this past fall tour and it ended on Halloween, I began to reminisce about other times that I've seen Fish in the fall. And one of the best jams that I've ever witnessed was this one on Thanksgiving weekend during Fish's 3.0 comeback year. Thanksgiving is, for my money, the best holiday of the whole year. First off, it is secular. Anyone who's American can celebrate it. Most people have two days off of work. There's football all day, time with your family, crisp weather. And, of course, you get to stuff your face silly with a really decadent feast. For Thanksgiving 2009, I had a lot to be thankful for. The Yankees were on top of baseball again. They won the World Series a few weeks earlier. Seinfeld was back on the air, in a way, through the magic of Curb Your Enthusiasm. And most importantly, Fish was back. They just wrapped up their second leg of their summer tour, and it was only a few weeks or maybe two months break between the end of the summer and the beginning of the fall. There's something about fall tour that sets it apart from its summer counterpart. For me, I like walking around the lot in a hoodie in the early evening with weather in the mid-40s. It's just so much more refreshing than a humid 95-degree July afternoon during the summer tour in the Northeast. I'd rather find people selling Sammy Smith oatmeal stouts instead of super hoppy double IPAs that warm up before I finish them. Indoor arenas tend to have more promise for better seats than expansive summer sheds, and the sound is usually better too. Finally, there's nothing more refreshing than stepping out into the cold night after the hot, sweaty, stinky, smoke-filled arena of a fish show. Plus, the fish tickets by mail stops for this run were absolutely beautiful. And I'm not saying this to shit on summer tour. It is the backbone of Fish's schedule, and there's plenty to love about Fish in the summer. All I'm saying is, fall tour is unique. It provides a welcome escape during a usually stressful season, and it has a charm that's impossible to find at other points of the year. It was with this mindset that my friend Craig, my girlfriend at the time, and I drove three hours north from Long Island to Albany for these pair of shows at the Times Union Center commonly known as the Nick or the Knickerbocker. I remember it being an exceptionally smooth ride to Albany. You know, of all the things that stick out in my memory, you could tell I'm from New York because I remember the drive. I was surprised because I always have this image in my head of Thanksgiving weekend travel consisting of flight delays, tons of luggage, uh, bumper-to-bumper traffic, but it was not the case on this weekend. Even the local nightmare highways like the Grand Central were perfectly clear. Before I knew it, we were at the hotel, we checked in, and we immediately got in touch with friends who were staying at the same place. If memory serves correctly, they had Magic Hat beer waiting for us. We chatted and caught up while ESPN was on in the background. It was fun to remember that we were catching up on each other's lives when, in big time, big bold letters, breaking news appeared on the TV screen about Tiger Woods being involved in a golf club swinging domestic dispute. I remember that we all got quiet and we watched with astonishment and amusement 
at the strange details of the story. While most of the pop culture and sports world were completely fascinated and fixated on this news story, to us, it was just a sideshow before the main event was coming that evening. As we all know by now, the sun goes down early in November, and for the fish lot, that means that the party starts a lot sooner than it does in the summer. We arrived, and I don't remember exactly what it was like, but I do remember that it was cold in Albany that night. I don't know if it was raining or if it was snowing, but there was definitely precipitation. We all walked around the lots, avoiding the puddles that were starting to develop, and of course, I enjoyed my Sam Smith oatmeal stout. In my opinion, this meant that the scene was back. I also remember the huge crowd on the steps to the venue's main entrance. And this was... I can't even I can't even get it out in words. There's nothing like those extended cheers and screams that spontaneously rise from the crowd and become contagious until you are actually in the arena. For those who haven't been, the Nick is a cozy venue. It's one of those several smaller minor league hockey arenas that feels like there's not a bad seat in the house. It's not that different from the old Nassau Coliseum or the North Charleston Coliseum. We were lucky on the first night to find seats on the lower bowl, looking at the stage head-on. And of these two nights, the second night gets the most attention from this two-show stand. But the first night is not without its moments, should be recognized. The band played a few songs that have since become rarities like Driver and My Mind's Got a Mind of Its Own. And the first hit passed quickly, even though it was comprised of 12 songs. For me personally, the set was notable because it was the first time that I came to terms with light. Even though I didn't like the song, this night was when the jam really sunk in. The second set also featured the Fish debut of TV on the radio's Golden Age. It was a bit clunky that first time. It was an extremely fast rhythm, and so it required Trey to kind of spit rapid-fire delivery of the lyrics, almost to the point that it sounded like he was trying to freestyle and not succeeding. No one really recognized the tune, but still, we could all agree that this addition to the set list was a major upturn in the story of 3.0. There was a lot more to night one, but this episode is about the pinnacle jam of 2009, the seven below into Ghost from night two. Somewhere in a drawer, probably in my parents' house or dug deep into a box in my apartment, is a piece of Best Western Hotel stationery with barely legible handwriting documenting the set list from November 28th, 2009. It's sloppy and disjointed. I just remember the last time I looked at it, I could barely read it. But the important part is at the beginning of the second set. Next to the scribbles that indicate Seven Below and Ghost, there are lots of exclamation points and smiley faces. I remember lots of details about this show and the whole year of 2009, but those two songs stand out above all the rest. From the beginning, the vibe of this show was different from the previous night. The first night of the run was the Try New Things show, but tonight, the second night, was the party. I was with my friends Lucas and Allison toward the upper parts of the venue just in front of the luxury boxes, page side. The first set had its big moments and its fun times. The party time opener hit the right note, and it's always fun to hear Uncle Penn and Walk Away. Walk Away was actually having a banner year in 2009 and 2010. In addition, Sanity brought back fun memories of Hampton, and I hadn't heard Vultures in person since It. So even by set break, it was a really good time. But truly, though, the hype from this show comes from the opening sequence of set two, and we all felt it as it was happening. On this podcast, not many guests have chosen songs or shows from 2009, 
But I've mentioned many times how the band was tentative to completely let go and step off the edge into jams as they were getting their feet wet during their comeback year. And while there were times when the band did play more than memorable jams, like the Camden 2009 Sand being the first of the year, in my experience, they hadn't yet really recaptured the abandon that they used to have in chasing their muse. But the Seven Below into Ghosts in Albany was the time when it felt like balance had been restored to the fish world in terms of improvisation. The jam in Seven Below begins firmly rooted within the confines of the song and the rhythm and melody. But at around 5 minutes and 20 seconds, you can hear Fishman, of all people, break through the usual beat and begin to play with fills around the edges. Fishman is always so solid. I can't always tell when it's him leading the jam or at least instigating it. But here, he's the first one that stands out to me. A couple of minutes later, you can hear Page redirect traffic by using his organ. You can hear the crowd response immediately because we felt it. We knew something was up. We knew that this jam had potential. You could never predict fish, despite our tries and despite our expectations. But there was something to be felt that night when we just knew this jam would become something special. They were going somewhere new for one of the first times. When you listen back to this upcoming clip, it may not sound too unique in 2021. But in 2009, it really hadn't happened enough times to be expected. Halfway through the track, there was a feedback-laden traffic jam. Fish and Mike would emerge eventually with a mid-tempo rock rhythm. It would be at this point that, in many other 
2009 and 2010 jams that Trey would ripcord into another song, usually backwards down the number line, or light. But instead, he builds on Page's progression with rhythm guitar, and to me, it automatically recalled What Goes On by the Velvet Underground. This rhythm is what Fish was growing into, true arena rock with the history and the weight to back themselves up. Simple chord progressions played with authority and the edge to make it sound new. When I look back, it's really easy to see why they decided to play Exile on Main Street for Halloween. We were now reaping the benefits. At about 17 and a half minutes, the band switched gears yet again to upbeat bliss jamming, the first time I would experience that in 3.0. I can now look back and see it as a sneak preview of 2012 and 2013, but at the time, it was nothing but good vibes throughout the whole venue.
jam soon dissolves into ambient space, with Trey stepping on the whammy pedal. No surprise there. The surprise was that the ambience continued for another five minutes or so before segueing into Ghost. This is what I like, and this is what I want. I want the band to take risks, and when it's successful, to let the jam resolve of its own accord. It's obviously way easier said than done, but that's one reason why I keep coming back when it succeeds. Like Seven Below, Ghost gets right into the jam after the composed section, but unlike Seven Below, this Ghost jam is angular and borderline chaotic at times. After playing the straight Ghost rhythm for six or seven minutes, Fishman continues the quick beat, and the rest of the band dives back into some of the best parts of Seven Below. Trey's trilling the high end of his guitar while Mike and Paige keep things steady, but by the end of the 11-minute mark, things do get darker and nasty. That brief turn into Darker Fish changes back to the rhythm-based rock that I loved so much in Seven Below. This time it's Paige and Mike that lead the way, but just temporarily.
At about the halfway point, the sound breaks down into dissonance and distorted effects. It was as if the band was playing in the same style as my most hated parts of 2004. But unlike the end of 2.0, they were actually listening and responding to one another. It was coherent in its dissonance. In other words, it connected for me this time compared to 2004. Eventually, the jam moves to some good old fish speed jazz before someone flips the switch. I don't know how they all knew it at the same time. And it becomes this huge sound that drives the next several minutes. To me, it sounds more like the peak of Run Like an Antelope than any part of Ghost. By this point, I was probably jotting down the 8th or ninth exclamation point on my handwritten set list. Which I'll try, but it's impossible to capture the energy that was inside the arena by this point. But I did my best with those exclamation points and smiley faces on the best Western set lists. When this two-song sequence ended, the crowd let out this extended, appreciative, sincere cheer. On the soundboard recording, it's difficult to grasp how enveloping this ovation was. But in person, it felt like a message from us to the band. Thank you. We're with you. 
We just broke through a plane to another level and we all felt it. Something special just happened and we loved it. Appropriately, the set continued with Cool It Down from The Velvet Underground's Loaded and then finished with a series of mid-tempo and slow songs like Wolfman's Brother and Let Me Lie. But by that point, it was all gravy. This opening two-set sequence added up to something like 45 minutes. Fish had made a statement, and we all willingly received it. It pointed the way toward bigger and better things in the future. Maybe it wasn't a golden age just yet, but I liked where their heads were at. I tried here, but it's really impossible to capture the essence of these two jams by pulling the highlights. I have to tell you, it was extremely difficult to pin down all the quote-unquote important parts of these sequences. The bottom line is, if you haven't listened to Much Fish from 2009, number one, I can't blame you. But number two, this should probably be your first stop. Aside from its contextual importance in the band's development in 3.0, these two jams, which the way I hear it are really one jam separated by a composed song or two, it's top tier fish. The drive home after that second night was as quick as the drive there. We were exhausted, but thrilled at what we saw and what we heard. It was a very short break between these Albany shows and then the three-show run at MSG the band had planned for next week, and we couldn't wait. That's it for today's episode of Attendance Bias. I'd like to thank Fish.net for providing all the information I needed today, and Fish.in for the recording that was used. If you enjoy Attendance Bias, please support the show by leaving a rating and a review on your favorite podcast app. You can also reach out to me on social media. I'm most active on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Reach out, say hi, and I'll send you a free sticker. Thank you again for listening, and I'll see you next week on Attendance Bias.